0: Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. This was the second giving of the law just before Israel was to cross Jordan to repeat of God's plea to his people to please do what he says. But it is the text for the most famous sermon ever preached in America. It's the text for Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This sermon has probably been evaluated, dissected, criticized, preached, repeated more than any other sermon. Preached in the 1700s by the greatest mind that America ever produced. Many have said that. Yale has published the sermons of Jonathan Edwards. I forget how many volumes there are that that uh, institution printed everything he said. And his text was taken from Deuteronomy. And let us look at it. Chapter 32, begin with verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Recompense means payback. I'm a payback, God. You hear that in the street. I'm going to pay you back. God said, I'm a God of vengeance, and I'm a God of payback. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. As Edwards describe the state of the lost and living on slippery ground. His language was so astounding as he described the state of the unsaved as hanging on a spider web, open the open and gaping mouth of hell. He said, you are hanging over hell on a spider web that can break any moment. You're walking across a termite-infested bridge that will cave in any, morning, any moment. You're walking over a thin, thatched roof by which you may break through any moment. And as he preached and described the state of the lost, they begin to scream, they begin to yell, they begin to cling to the pillars of the church. And many criticize that as emotionalism, as people were overwhelmed with fear, grief, and pain. For you see, in New England at the time of Jonathan Edwards, you had to go to church. Church was run by the city hall, was run by a committee, what we would call the uh, local city hall government. Uh, They would run it. You were not necessarily saved. And so he's preaching. You're in a dangerous, dangerous place. It goes on. Pick up verse 40. For I lift my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. Will the blood of the slain and the captives from the long hatred heads of the enemy rejoice with him, O heavens? Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversary he repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land i've spoken so far four sermons on the love of god today i want to talk about the wrath of god the wrath of god look at psalms 7 and verse 11 Seven eleven, and we're not throwing dice. God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation or anger every day. You see that? He feels indignation every day. Or what do you do with Proverbs? Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Does God hate anything? I heard some say no, some said. Verse sixteen There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a Hebrew. Euphemism for pride, highbrow, a lying tongue, and all of you were born liars. We started lying from the first time we were threatened to be spanked. (laughs) We're all born liars. psalm says that from the womb. We went lying. Uh, And hands that shed innocent blood. Baby, give me the ounce and blow you away. God said, I hate you. A heart that devises wicked schemes. We make more from pornography than every movie produced in Hollywood this year. The movie industry is beat by the pornography industry. And all we want to do is capture. We just had a local official arrested because he's selling child pornography. You can't imagine a public official taking pride in selling children, filming them, and selling to cleanse and to feed his dirty mind with seven-year-old girls. You cannot believe what a Katie Anderson says that the girls are missing in Nepal after the age of 12 because they're sold to the brothels of India. People don't do that to people, do they? People won't shoot you for an ounce of Coke, will they? We had one of the young men of our church, his father was the uh, fire captain, fire chief, not fire, rather police chief of Richmond, blew his boy away over a drug deal gone bad. You wouldn't kill a man over a plant, would you? Yeah, we're doing it all the time. We've gotten good at it. Dylan had a line, there's so much evil and so much trouble, you can't keep track of it no more. And you can't. You can't. I hate a lying tongue. I hate those who kill. I hate those that devise wicked plans. Feet that make haste to do evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one, oh my, who sows discord among brothers. Never heard of so many families that can't stand each other. I hate my brother, hate my sister, and all. Oh, they're fighting over a thousand dollar will, but they've learned to hate each other over a low down dollar. Some misunderstanding. We don't talk anymore. You don't. No, that's your brother. That's just your sister. well. We don't talk to each other. No, that can't be. Oh, it is. It is. It is. It is. God said, I hate it. I hate it. I'm going to look at three things about the wrath of God. Number one, the meaning of it. What do we mean when we talk about God has wrath? Two, I want us to look at human beings live with the menace, the uh, imminent threat that God's wrath may fall on them, the menace of divine wrath, and finally, the means of escaping divine wrath. What's the meaning of divine wrath? What are we saying? Many professed believers, uh, they're afraid to talk about a God that Uh, is going to judge a God that gets angry. They they think it's, uh, oh, oh, you're a hellfire brimstone preacher. Well, I'm not, but Jesus was. Nobody warned us more about hell than the one who did the most to keep you from going there, Jesus They say, well, boy, you sound like some Appalachian uh, fanatical wild-eyed priest." No, I'm a Bible preacher, so I preach what God says. And God never did hide the fact that he's angry and wrath is coming. He never did hide that. Well, you got to tell them about the love of God. I've been telling you for four weeks about it. When I was here, I got out of town on the love of God. I'm coming back on the wrath of God. You might hope I take another vacation. (laughs) I think we've lost this because God is holy at the same time he loves. God is just at the same time he loves. And so we call it the holy love of God. God, we make it easy. One man said, God has to forgive, that's his job. God doesn't have to forgive you. I said, God doesn't have to forgive you. You don't dictate the terms of whether he forgives you. If God doesn't want to forgive you, he won't. And he'll be just. He'll be righteous. Come on, God, you've got to forgive. I blew it. I hate. I did the eh, Forgive. Keep up your job. Oh, no, 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 no. It was one of the greatest dilemmas that God had to deal with. How can I make a command to people, don't do this, and them do it, and now what am I supposed to do? Be an indulgent parent that said, well, I didn't mean it. Then if I judge them, like I said, Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. If you do, I'm going to kill you. No, you won't. Yes, I will. You're listening to the devil, and I am going to kill you. And we've been dying ever since Genesis 3. We've been burying millions of people. We've been born with spiritual death. We've been born in uh, isolation, separation from God because God said, I will keep my word. And when I prescribe penalty, I must carry out my word. I will not accommodate your sin because I'm holy and I'm telling the truth. I am always righteous when I'm angry." My wife, she gets nervous if she thinks I'm getting angry. She hadn't seen anything in this marriage. She hadn't seen what, but according to Proverbs, an angry man is a fool and to be avoided. Anger in our way of living means someone out of control, someone uh, uh, doing something irrational. Listen to what it means when we come to God. When we say God has wrath, it's never capricious, self-indulgent. It's not irritability. It's not emotional. It's not morally ignoble that human anger usually is. James says human anger, we normally do anything right. God is always right when he's angry. He's angry for the right reasons, and he's angry in the right way. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry where anger is called for. Even among men, there is such a thing as righteous indignation, though it is perhaps rarely found. But all God's indignation is righteous. Arthur Pink said this, Scripture never hides the fact of God's wrath. He said, vengeance is mine. He will deal with those who hate him. He said that. And you can't get enough John 3, 16 to get rid of it. He's the same God. The attributes are not at war with each other. He's not more holy than he's loving, and he's not more loving than he's holy. He is strictly balanced. He has all of his attributes in total balance. They're not in competition with each other. Oh, I want to love them, but I'll have to give up my holiness. I want to love them, so I've got to give up my righteousness. No, no. All of his attributes are equal. He, he can love you while he hates what you are and what you've done. And we'll find out how he solved that. Great dilemma for God to forgive people who hate him. Great dilemma for God to forgive people who he said, I'm going to judge. So how does he deal with the problem? Well, uh, we're looking at this some more. Anger is a part of the holy nature of God. Look at what Romans says about God's anger, why he's angry. Look at Romans, Paul is introducing the greatest thesis in the Bible on the gospel, Romans. It is the, you don't know the gospel very well if you don't know Romans. The whole book is writing on what the justice of God is. He says, first of all, my gospel offers you a righteousness with God by faith. Beautiful, beautiful. 1, 16, and 17. 17. We've got good news. Good. I don't need it. I'm driving a nice car, got a good retirement account, and I'm an American. Give it to somebody. Nietzsche said Christianity makes people sick because they only offer hope to the sick. If you're well, you don't need Christianity. That was Nietzsche. He said it was a crutch for weak people. But listen to what Paul says. The reason you need this gospel is this is where you're living and how God sees you. Watch. Verse 18. For the wrath of God, the righteous anger of God is presently being revealed. It's a present tense. It is being revealed from heaven. Why? He's moody? He's touchy. No against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Because men choose not to revere me and men choose not to obey me, I'm going to reveal my wrath. I'm going to turn them over to sin. I'm going to turn them over to gross immorality. I'm going to turn them over to idolatry. And then he comes to the end of the section, and he names 31 sins in the book. He comes to the end, verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They're gossip, slanders. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. He goes on in chapter two and he says, The Jew who claims to be right with God, he's under judgment too. He judges the Gentiles, but he's just as guilty. Then in verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's going to judge every man according to his works. And he keeps going on, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. The wrath of God is God's holy revulsion with everything unlike him. Everything that's been against him and has broken his commandments, God said, I'm going to get vengeance. I'm going to pay you back. For the wages of sin is not a pat on the back, but death. Not just physical death, but I'm going to separate you and put you out of my sight forever. Now, who lives with this threat? Who lives with this kind of threat over them? Turn with me to John 316, John 316, you all know it, let us follow it out. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Don't we all know that verse? Is it not wonderful? But watch verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. And the word condemn meant to make you liable to penalty. He didn't come to put you under penalty. I found you condemned is what he's saying. I found you already like this. So I didn't come to produce the condemnation. I found you living under this state. So I didn't come to condemn you. I found you this way. But in order that the world might be saved through him, I came to save you from righteous judgment to come. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You've not put your trust in God's Son. That's your condemnation. Then he says, watch. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds, their works were evil. We came in the room, we threw on the light, and you threw it off. Said, what I'm doing in this room is so evil and bad, I don't want you to see it. I've chosen darkness. And Christ says, if you choose to remain in the dark, I've made a place of outer darkness. Hell is just the continuation of your refusal to come to the light. Then he says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, what's the conclusion of chapter 3? We never read this verse. Verse 36. Verse 36, are you there? Okay, watch this verse. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life right now. You get it now. Whoever does not obey the Son, which is an equivalent of believe, shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Is that true? When God found you, notice how he describes you. Look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Like the rest of my, whose wrath? We were children who were living under the divine wrath of God. Just like Rome, we were being given over to our sin. God was pulling back the restraints, letting us sin all we wanted, sin all you want. You can put in have all your idols. You'd rather go hunting than you would to serve God. You'd rather make money than to love Jesus. You got all these choices, and he just lets you do it, lets you do it. And Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against a crime is not quickly carried out, The sons of men are bold to continue in sin because God hasn't put you in hell yet. You keep saying, I'm going to keep living the way I'm living because I'm never going to see judgment anyway. You're deceived. You've been lied to. You're going to perish. Evangelism is not an option and it's not a little fun thing we're involved in. We believe the people on this earth are going to heaven or hell, and we are supposed to be the first resort to get them to heaven. You're living in paradise. You say, man, when I go look at my house, I don't see paradise. If you see what I'm living with, it's not near paradise. You are. You want me to show you what God said? Look at when he saved you. I want you to hear what he said he does for you. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Some of you need to break in your Bible. This is your morning. Break it in. Make it crack right there. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Is that beautiful? When we came to you, you were idol worshipers, and you received Christ, and so there was a turn. You turned from the idols. You turned to the living God. Well, what do we do now? Watch, 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 watch. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who is delivering us from the wrath to come. Do you see that verse? Jesus is delivering you from the wrath to come. Now, some make that wrath hell only. Well, that's good enough. That's pretty good. That's not a bad deal. You got hell canceled? Yeah. We who are pre-tribulations think it includes the tribulation because it's called the day of God's wrath. Revelation 6, 19, they cry for the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Hear me well. According to Romans 8, 1. Anyone in Christ will not come under divine penalties. The word condemnation there means divine penalty, liable to penalty. Here you receive Christ. Say, what's my future look like? Well, I might live through Irma. I might live through Harvey. I might live in Richmond. You're not appointed to anything that comes from God that's wrath. You may have trials. You may have tribulation. You may have sickness. You may have poverty. You may have heartbreak. But you will never, on the authority of the, you will not see the display of divine wrath on your life. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. Look at chapter five, verse nine. Five nine. For God has not destined us for wrath. Does your Bible say that? Did God stutter here? No. Does God know how to spell? You have not been appointed to divine wrath. Why don't you clear your throat and say, hallelujah. What's wrong with you? You hell-deserving sinner. You sinned and sinned. And you mean to tell me divine penalty is off the map for you? Yeah, that's what he's saying. There's no wrath, do you? Final point I want to say in the message. I'm not through. I just got to stop. That's what vacations do for me. I want to go all day. You haven't been hearing the word like you should. No. Uh, in the New Testament, four times, four times we meet a word. Romans 3.25. Hebrews 1.17. 1 John 2.2. 1 John 4.10. Four times. It uses this word, propitiation. NIV changed it, said atonement. Because that was the equivalent of the Old Testament word. But if you redeem a man, there's been atonement. It's not specific enough. There was a man by the name of C.H. Dodd, a British theologian, who said that the word meant this. It meant to um, uh, expunge a sin. He, he, he translated expiation. That we just we deal with sin, wipe it out. That word means expiation. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And Leon Morris wrote a great defense in his book, *The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross*, and studied the linguistic background. The word meant to appease or satisfy the anger of someone. The word came to be satisfaction granted. It was used of the pagans. They gave their offerings to satisfy their gods, to appease their gods. Now it's used. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. What does it mean? The means of escaping the wrath of God was God himself providing the payment. Because there's nothing that would satisfy God but God. The only one that could satisfy God about your sins and my sins was God. So Christ became the propitiatory sacrifice. It was used in the Old Testament of atonement. They'd kill an animal when an offense had been made, when a sin had been committed, when they wanted to avert judgment, avert penalty. You remember when David, remember the children of Israel and the plague was coming through town? He said, we got an offer a of sacrifice. Maybe this death angel will stop, but he won't stop short of somebody being killed. Somebody's got to be killed. Somebody's got to shed blood in order to get the anger to stop. And God said, there's one member of the Godhead who has agreed, Father, I want you to pour out every bit of anger and wrath you have for the human race on me. And God made him to be sinned. Jesus didn't become adultery. Jesus didn't become a liar. He didn't become a When he made him sin, he became the penalty of the sin. Jesus is not a dirty old man on the cross. He's the holy son of God. But God said, I'm going to make him to be your penalty. And I'm going to make you his righteousness. In a moment, I'll do it. And so in those three hours from noon to three, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Some say it was the nails. It was the excruciation. Wait, Rome crucified a lot of men, and they usually hung on the cross two to three days. There's other men who suffered longer and more extreme than Jesus as far as the physical aspect. But guess what happened? When Adam and Eve sinned, they begin to die physically, and it took over 900 years. But that very day, they died to God. Guilt, isolation, blame, shame, moral conflict, uh, interpersonal conflict, murder in the family. All of this broke out so that it was a spiritual alienation And the Lord Jesus in a cosmic moment bore all the spiritual separation and pain of what your sins were going to bring you in the future wrath of God. God said, he alone can satisfy my justice and show my love at the same time. He will bear both my holy judgment and unleash my divine love. I'll make him to be sin for you. This is our gospel. This is why you ought to be telling men and women the good news. If it works for you, it'll work for your neighbor. And you know what's the scary thing about some of you? You've been saved too long to get happy over this stuff. You're bored with it. You don't even sing Amazing Grace and mean it because it's not a new arrangement. Give up on the arrangement. I haven't heard a song by Brittany for a long time. Because all the stars are coming and going, honey. They ain't lasting. There has been. I just saw, I was kind of nearly wept as I read the paper this morning. Lady Gaga is not going to go on tour next year. <laughs> See, all this stuff's fading. Truth doesn't fade. Is it amazing grace that God would save you and that he would make the son become your substitute and the only way, and John the Baptist said, flee the wrath to come. Here comes the Lamb of God. Look to him. Romans ten nine said, if you will believe in your heart, in the Lord Jesus, and confess him with your mouth, God will save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God couldn't make it easier, could he? God won't save you against your will. If you don't want to be saved, he'll let you take what you choose. That's what he said in John 3, 18. They don't come because they don't want the light. Don't blame there'll be no man in hell that will be able to blame God. You didn't choose me. You didn't predestine me. No, you didn't want him. He'll hold you accountable that you didn't want him, and your deeds proved it. We hear little preaching on hell and judgment because most people think they're living in hell. Because their home is tore up, they don't know their dad, they're living with so much brokenness from sin. That our planet has become a dangerous place to survive. We know that. But real judgment is coming. And when you read Revelation, and men will call for the rocks and mountains to hide them, they're running scared. 1920. Nine-year-old boy plowing. Cherokee County, Oklahoma. And as he plowed, this song went through his mind because he'd been at a camp meeting the night before. Uh, I've been to these camp meetings where they built them out of brush arbors. They built them out of, I was at one one summer in Sepulpa that you just cooked. You had no backs for the, on the pews. You just sat on rails. Uh, it, way back. And I was there in the 60s, sang in that meeting, went to church with his mama. But he said as he was plowing all that morning as a nine-year-old boy, the words of the song kept rolling over his mind that they sang at the meeting the night before. When judgment day is drawing nigh, where shall I be? When God the works of men shall try, where shall I be? When east and west the fire shall roll, where shall I be? How will it be with my poor soul, where shall I be? Oh, where shall I be when the last trumpet sounds? Oh, where shall I be when it sounds so loud? I can hear him singing it When it sounds so loud as to wake up the dead. Oh, where shall I be when it sounds? When wicked men his wrath shall see. Where shall I be? And to the rocks and mountains flee. Where shall SHALL I BE? WHEN HILLS AND MOUNTAINS FLEE AWAY? WHERE SHALL I BE? WHEN ALL THE WORKS OF MEN DECAY? WHERE SHALL I BE? WHEN HEAVEN AND EARTH HAS SOME GREAT SCROLL? WHERE SHALL I BE? SHALL FROM GOD'S ANGRY PRESENCE ROLL? WHERE SHALL I BE? WHEN ALL THE SAINTS REDEEMED SHALL STAND? WHERE SHALL I BE? FOREVER BLESSED AT GOD'S RIGHT HAND, WHERE SHALL I BE? ALL TROUBLES DONE, ALL CONFLICT past? WHERE SHALL I BE? AN OLD Apollyon BOUND AT LAST, WHERE SHALL I BE? WHEN CHRIST SHALL REIGN FROM SHORE TO SHORE, WHERE SHALL I BE? AND PEACE ABIDE FOREVERMORE, Where shall I be Then the refrain? Oh, where shall I be when the last trumpet sounds? Oh, where shall I be when it sounds so loud when it sounds so loud as to wake up the dead? Oh, where shall I be when it sounds? I ask you, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? And he said as he took the corner of the field plowing, as a nine-year-old boy, he stopped the team. He got on his knees, and the nine-year-old boy, he said, Lord, you're the only one that can tell me where I'm going to be. I don't know. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm a nine-year-old boy that doesn't know you but you're the only one that's got the answer. I'm coming to the door. I'm coming to Jesus. Jesus, could you tell me where I'm going to be? And before he got up, he received eternal life, and he could hear these words, you shall not perish. You shall not come into judgment. You shall not see my wrath. I ask you, where shall you be? Do you know Christ today? I'm telling you to flee from your sin. Flee from your unbelief. The rain is coming. If I was Brother Noah, instead the fire is coming. The fire is coming. Why don't you come to Christ? You'll have all judgment canceled. Receive eternal life. And you'll begin to, you'll start living in paradise. The song wants to set us up share your money, share your food, uh, share your time this Saturday, would it be worth trying to reach a poor sinner and get them not to go to hell? Is it worth it? No, 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 don't don't. amen me. I don't need an amen if you don't mean it. What are you doing to tell a lost generation that rather, rather go to a concert than they would to hear of the soul? We are God's witnesses. And whether I ever witness or not, I'm going to heaven. But I sure like to take some grandchildren and take some neighbors and take some family. Is your family ready? You know, they keep telling everybody in Irma, get out of town, get out of town, get out. You got, come on, in Harvey, it, it got Houston. We didn't know it'd be of this magnitude. Come on, get out. This is going to be a five. You've got to get out of town. You've got to get out of town. And I thought, you got to get out of town. You've got to get out of the city of destruction, as good old John Bunyan described it, and flee to the celestial city. But you first must see your sins roll off. Your sins have got to and they roll off, and you look to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you came to save me. I don't want you to perish. I don't want, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. That's what God's word said. Will you come? Will you come? Will you base it on how good I give an invitation? Oh, you give it on the basis, I'm living under the sentence of God. It hasn't yet fell on me, but I'm facing the judgment of God. I want to escape. Come to Jesus. He is the city of refuge. The avenger of blood will not be able to touch you. Come to the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray if there's a man, woman, boy, or girl that is on their way to hell, their way to see divine judgment, would you enable them today by your Spirit's word, open their eyes and say, flee to Christ, receive the gospel that Christ has bore the wrath of God against our sins. He only asked to be received. He only asked to be welcomed. He only asked to be trusted. And He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. Save, save, save. Open their eyes. Is there anyone here where you pray? Anyone here want to know Christ? That you came in not knowing him, but you want to know him. When? When will you take him? You're gambling with your life. Every day you put it off. Are you here? If you're here, we'll take time to more fully show you how you can know you're saved. It's your decision. It's your decision. It's your decision. You'll face it for eternity. Are you here? Jim put out a Bible. We're going to take a love offering to help defray our Saturday outreach. You've been told about this. Are we seen You can bring it. If you're someone here that you want Christ, you're still wrestling, me and some pastors will be standing up front. We'll take time for you. We don't want you to perish. We don't want you to perish. We don't want you to perish. Come. Come. I'll stand over here so you won't be while people are giving their money. David, you stand there, and I'll stand here. Joe, Malcolm, if you want to help us, just stand up front. Let's stand.